It is a, a pleasure to be here with you today. Um, this sermon is, by the grace of God, titled Our Blessed Hope. So I don't know if anyone else has felt a stirring, like a, a just excitement, a hopefulness stirring inside of them after we've watched the video that was presented uh, after Pastor John went over uh, how to be prepared, how to look for, what to expect. Like, uh, Now, don't get me wrong. If somebody is out there giving you dates, then just call their bluff. Tell them to sign over all their assets to you pending that day. And I, I bet they'll back off of it real quick. It, it's not when Jesus is coming that is important. It is that he is coming. That is the fact that he is coming. That is our blessed hope. Um, So if you don't mind, I'm going to take a moment to pray for myself, and if you would, pray for me, and we will get started this morning. Father, I submit myself to you right now, Lord. Uh, I just ask that you are able to use me, anoint me with your Holy Spirit to speak truth, the truth of your word with clarity, uh, that we may receive what you have for us this morning. I ask that you prepare our hearts, open our ears to your word, God. Uh, Don't let me be in the way, any of my faults and shortcomings, Father. I, I just give that to your Holy Spirit and ask that he work through me to honor and glorify and serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'm, I'm pretty excited, pretty pumped up this morning to talk to y'all. I drink a lot of water because it can be a little nervous standing in front of this many people. And I taught Sunday school this morning, and I get real active when I'm pumped up. So if you see me taking frequent water breaks, it's, uh, I'm not dehydrated, I'm just ready to give you the word, and sometimes I get cotton mouth. So, uh, <laughs> the blessed hope, we have a blessed hope in Christ. Uh, I've been pondering that and thinking about that and reflecting on that and meditating on that, and I started to think, well, what does that mean to everyone? Do you have a concrete concept of what this idea means, or is it too abstract for you? We have a blessed hope. Well, what does that mean? Christ is coming back. Well, what, what, what does that mean? Well, well, he's coming back and I have a blessed hope. Like, I, I want to stir in you a desire to know the word of God, to know what it says about this, to know the hope that we have in him, that our hope is rooted in his promises, but that we are here and face a struggle. So for those of you that like strict exegetical presentations of the word of God, uh, that's not the presentation this morning. I'm going to be going to a lot of scriptures. If you're taking notes this morning, the most important things for you to write down are the three points, the hope, the struggle, and the promise, and the scriptures that I give you. This, this right here on Sunday morning is not being a believer, friend, being a student of the word, being a disciple of the word, giving yourself over to the teachings of the apostles constantly. That is part of being a believer. A check mark on Sunday morning is superficial at best. That, that is not the life of a believer. I'm not trying to come down on anyone. I'm just saying 
when I give you these verses, I'm not mishandling them or taking them out of context, and you are to be a student of the Word. So write the verses down, go home, open your Bible, read the surrounding context. If you feel like I've mishandled it, come talk to me. But we are to be students of the Word, too. You shouldn't just be taking anything that's spoon-fed to you from any pulpit, period. And that's just, I want to give you that for free as a believer. Don't, don't take anything because of a person is standing in front of you saying it. Search the scriptures. Be a Berean. If you don't know what that means, read through Acts. You'll catch it. So, by the grace of God this morning, I want to speak to you about our hope, about our struggle, and about our promise. So, if there was a primary text this morning, it would be Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. That's Titus 2, 11 through 14. Now, our hope is a corporate hope. And when I read through this passage, I want you to listen for group language. In verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly possessions and passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope. What is our blessed hope? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We have a corporate hope. Christ came and completed the work for all of us so that we would all have the opportunity to come to him. Christ's finished work gives all people the opportunity to come into relationship with him. Our blessed hope is the promise that he will return to claim us, those that he has purchased, and he's going to take us with him so that where he is, I may be also. So that where he is, you may be also. Our hope is in his promise. He is coming back. Fact check that one, true. Why why am I so confident about that? Because he said so. It's his promise. You know, I saw this meme, and I don't normally reference memes, but this one really caught my attention because of the age and the time that we're in. If Noah had a Facebook page, and he were trying to get people to pay attention that a flood is coming, that the ark is the only way for salvation, the way that God designed, the way that God ordained, there's only one way to be saved— He would have been fact-checked, right? He would have been fact-checked, missing context, half-truth, it has never rained before. We can be confident, and what happened? A great flood. Why? He said it was going to happen. He doesn't hide the ball. He didn't say exactly when the rain was going to start. He didn't say exactly when the Messiah was going to come, and the most learned people missed it. Right? The, the Pharisees, the people that knew the law better than anybody else who could quote the Old Testament to you, saw Jesus and were like, that can't be right. Like they, I guess they didn't do math beyond the abacus at that point because the statistic, the statistic analysis says it's like absolutely impossible for somebody to have fulfilled the prophecies of Jesus the way he did. It is beyond mathematical calculation. It is absolutely absurd to think that he was not the Messiah. So we have a corporate hope. That hope is rooted in his promises. He is coming back for us. We have a personal hope. 
In 1 Peter chapter 1, 18 through 21, that's 1 Peter 1, 18 through 21, I want you to listen for the personal, the individual language in this passage. Therefore, or knowing that you, you, me, us, were ransomed from the futile ways you inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him, that is Christ, are believers in God, who raised him, Christ, from the dead and gave him Christ's glory, so that your faith and hope is in God. Right there in Scripture, we see we have a corporate hope as a body of believers. He has done something on behalf of us as a body, as his church. But it doesn't just stop there. It's, it's personal. It's individual. He did it for you. He didn't just do it for this club that if you become a member, you inherit the, the benefits. It's not like women of the world or whatever other association you could think of. Like you pay your dues, you become a part, you get some benefits. It's personal. It is a personal hope that, that God gives to me and he gives it to you. Christ died for you. He died for me. Despite all my shortcomings and failures, Christ died for me. He sacrificed himself. His precious blood was spilt to atone for me to justify me so that I could inherit his righteousness. It could be imputed to me and I could stand before God righteous and without blemish. He didn't do that with perishable things. He didn't pay my speeding ticket. It wasn't gold or silver, things that would pass away. It was the blood of Christ, the eternal son of God, the one that was and will be and will shall forevermore be who always was. There was not time where he was not. It is God. His blood is infinitely valuable. And that's what is used to purify me, to justify me, so that I can stand before him righteous without blemish. And that same thing was done for you. It was done for you, Becca. It was done for you, Wade. It was done for you, Jake. We can't just look at this and say, you know, well, I'd have fallen out with the church and da, da 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 No, God did that for you. He called you to be a disciple. He shed his blood for you, for your salvation. He gave himself a ransom for many so that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And you are a whosoever. I mean, there's no way around that. You are a whosoever. There's a grace that allows you to respond to the gospel when you hear it. It's not just a personal hope. It's not just a corporate hope. It is a divine hope. In John 14, 1 through 3, this, listen what Jesus says. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my house, in my Father's house, are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. It is a divine hope based on a divine promise. If we, if we don't believe that, just donate your Bible somewhere. 
Quit reading it. What kind of pastor would tell you that? What kind of preacher would say that to people? If you throw away one jot or tittle, it is worthless. If you throw away any portion of the Bible, it's not divine scripture anymore. Now you're in charge of what is or is not right. It's your Bible. It's not the Holy Bible. Jason's standardized version, standardized revised version is not a thing. Okay? I don't get to redact and add and do what I want with the Word of God. I submit to it. And Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm coming back for you, so that where I am, you may be also, because I want you with me, because you are mine, because I paid the price for you, because I bought you, because I love you. It's a corporate hope. It is a personal hope. It is a divine hope based on a divine promise. So, well, with all of that, well, what could be the problem? You know, uh, Christ is the bridegroom. He's coming for us, his bride, the church. He's coming for us, the church. He's coming for me. He's coming for you, Chris. He's coming for you, Brad. He's, he's coming for us to take us away to the place that he's prepared for us. And so shall it ever be. So we should be prepared And that's our blessed hope. But what gets in the way with that? You know, this is my blessed hope. It is your blessed hope. It's our blessed hope. It is the blessed hope of every believer. So what's the problem? What's the disconnect? Why can't we just stand on that all the time and our faith never is shaken and we're never distraught and we're never depressed? Why, Why can't we just always be happy and not have a care in the world and God had, God said it, he's coming back for me. That's it. Well, because we're faced with struggles. There's, there's this life we have to walk out that is full of struggles. So we have the hope based on a promise, but we got to live here for now in this weak mortal body that frustrates us and we struggle with it. We struggle with the things that we don't want to do and the things that we want to do. Knowing this, so, so what do we do with that? Well, We're going to go to the Word of God. Lest we forget our blessed hope because of our struggle. Because of our struggle, sometimes we'll doubt. We'll become anxious, fearful, downtrodden. We'll be angry. We'll become self-reliant. Why? Because the struggle is real. Y'all know what I'm saying? The struggle is real. It's tough in these streets. The world's gone crazy. Straight up. And sometimes we're able to see that what's in our face more clearly than we are able to see eternity with Christ. It's a promise. We know our faith is rooted in that promise. But my 401k just went to one-third value of what it was. But my friend's child just died in a car accident. The, the child that's left and is in rebellion overdosed again. And we're faced with these struggles. And in those struggles, we, we get frustrated. We have problems. But did you know that you're not the only one? Does it encourage anyone else to know that you're not the first believer to struggle? Let's talk about some heroes. 
Let's talk about David. Now read Psalms 23 and then go read Psalms 27. Same author. David in Psalms 23 verses 1 and 2, he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. I mean, this sounds, I'm confident right now. I'm rooted in my promises. I know where my hope is. I'm feeling strong. I'm feeling bold. I'm feeling good. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't need anything. I don't want for anything. He gives me rest. He leads me in peaceful waters. Flip a few chapters later. What does David said? I have fainted. I would have fainted, fell out. Passed out, done, unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, wait on the Lord. So David's being real with you. Say, I would have passed out, man. I could not handle this. The only thing that kept me going was my faith in God. The only thing that kept me going was that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Otherwise, I'm done. I'm at the end of myself. That's a struggle for the king. Like, people like the king can't have problems. King got a palace. King got money. He ain't worried about a car note. He don't pass out when the light bill comes. You know, I messed up and ran the heat too long. The struggle's real. They want my whole paycheck. But the king, the king can't be having problems. He said, I'd fainted. Do you know that David, David was anointed king by Samuel when he was a teenager? It was like 30 years before he sat on a throne. That's a long wait. That's a long time between promise and fulfillment. That's a long time to just stand in the gap with hope. You're not the only one that's faced this. And you're not the only, and they weren't the only ones that God cared about. He's going to hide you in the cleft of the rock. He is going to guard your heart. His uh, peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. That word peace in the Greek is a verb. He is actively working to preserve you. God is not asleep. He does not slumber. Let's talk about another hero, Paul. Paul. Paul writes to the Philippians. He's like, man, I'm in this Roman jail. It doesn't matter. They might kill me. They might not. No big deal. They kill me, I get to go be with the Lord. Sweet. They let me go, I get to continue and be fruitful in ministry. Sweet. Doesn't matter to me, man. For your sake, I think they're going to let me go because I don't think I'm done here. I think I got some more stuff to share. I think I got to teach some more people. For your sake, I think I'd rather just go be with the Lord. You know, who, who here wouldn't have rather just come to salvation and what? been struck dead on the spot. I would have, you know, I wouldn't have had a chance to mess this junk up. I wouldn't have had to fall on my face and repent for the same things over and over again and be frustrated and look at God and say, aren't you tired of hearing me repent of the same stuff? What is wrong with my rebellious heart? You're so good and I'm so wretched. Like, I much would have rather just been like, moment of conversion, boom, dead. But what? I don't get, I don't get that. <laughs> I got to walk out the struggle, right? We got to live the life of the believer. We got to run our race. So Paul, in the Philippian letter, I mean, you're sitting in a Roman jail cell. You're, you're chained to a guard 24 hours a day. And you're like, whatever, no big deal. And then in 2 Corinthians, he writes to the church in Corinth and he says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers. We were under such great pressure. 
in Asia that, that, that we, were, we had lost all hope unto death. We were sure we would die. But God, but God carried him through. Paul, writing letters from prison, no big deal. And then he writes in another letter. Man, let me tell you, it was tough in those streets. I had given up all hope. I knew I was going to die. It was game over. But, but God preserved me. God brought me through. I looked at the facts, and I made a judgment call, and I said, I can't handle this. I'm done. I'm beyond myself unto death. And then God said, yeah, but watch this, because I'm in control, and your time hasn't come yet. Do you know what, how much confidence that can give you if you really believe that? If you really believe that, that Paul, when he was stoned by men, could stand up and walk back into a city, beaten and bloody, proclaiming the gospel. But there was a day where his head was severed from his body and his spirit left his body to go be with the Lord. So that tells me that if God's not done with my story, it doesn't matter if 10,000 people are shooting at me or one person swinging a sword, it's not over until God says it's over. He has a plan for you, and he's going to come through with that plan. But we have a struggle. We have a struggle with self. Paul, again, in Romans, listen to his frustration with himself. The trouble is not with the law. Now, this is Romans chapter 7, 14 through 19. Romans 7, 14 through 19. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human and a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I lose focus. I become complacent. I, I become ill-prepared for his return. But if I know what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree with the law and the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. Don't take that out of context. Warning, read your study Bible. That's all I have time to do with that. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. This dude wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, or a third of the New Testament. He wrote 13 letters to the churches. You, you see this frustration? A struggle with self? You think that a, a man knocked off of his donkey on the way to Damascus struggles with himself like this, and we won't as believers in the 21st century? Of course we will. It's right here in the Word of God. If Paul struggled with himself, I'm in good company. And when I struggle with myself, I find comfort in the fact that God told Paul when he said, remove this thorn in my side that the enemy, that Satan has sent to buffet me, that God replied to him, my grace is sufficient. I'm, I'm so encouraged by that, that his grace is sufficient for all my shortcomings, all my failures, all the times that I sin. Other people sin, we just make mistakes, right? All the times that I sin, that I sin out of volition, I voluntarily sin, I commit sin, that there's grace for that. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Does that mean I should take advantage of that and live however I want? Absolutely not. The Word of God does not instruct us that way. It tells us He is coming back for us. Walk out the struggle, eyes to the hills to where your help comes from, not on your present circumstance. When you get distracted, when you sin, when you fall victim to the temptation, repent and get up and keep going, believer. It's comforting to know that God loves me and loves all of us, even though we're not perfect. 
that nowhere in the Bible does it tell me that I have to be perfect uh, on my own merit. We struggle with the world. In Matthew 24, 3, 1 through 13, this is Matthew 24, 3, 1 through, uh, 3 through 13. I said that all weird. Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 3, go to 13. Jesus warned us. He had trouble with the world. Jesus had trouble with the world, didn't he? Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when will all this happen? What, will, what sign will signal your return and the end of the world? And Jesus told them, listen to the first thing out of Jesus' mouth when they said, what's going to be the sign? How will we know when? You know, Jesus has always just said, stop worrying about when, man. Just follow me. I told you where I'm taking you, to my father's house. It has many rooms, the place I've prepared for you. Just follow me and stop worrying about the when. Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you. If there was a time when it'd be easy to be misled, today is the day. We are so overwhelmed with information, we can't tell what's true and what's false, what's fake and what's real. We, we are bombarded 24 hours a day by somebody's timeline, somebody's news feed, somebody's what is, snap books or picture book face thing. What, whatever, you know, like the next new app you can get on and see somebody's pictures and heart and live my digital life with my avatar. And we are so misled. I see people say, you know, they out in the club on Friday night and then Saturday morning they're posting a picture of a Chinese duck and claim it in Jesus' name because that's the golden duck. I'm going to have money today. Like, lost. Don't let anyone mislead you. Not the pulpit. Not the Christian celebrity. Don't let anyone mislead you. Be a student of the word. Don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and they will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars. But don't panic. Yes, these things must take place. But the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You'll be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray me. They will hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. We str- we're going to struggle with the world. It's not go- We've had it pretty easy in America. We can say, yeah, I'm a believer, tip our hat at the Bible and keep going. It doesn't cost us much. If you know enough scripture to scare people, you might not get invited to lunch. The cost is minimal. Other countries, they're, they're boiled, they're burned, they're beheaded, they're, they're persecuted, they're fired from their job, they're arrested and imprisoned. In America, we're like, yeah, I'm a Christian. You know what persecution will do? It'll, it'll make people shed that nominal skin. And don't be like one Marine I knew. Joker, all right, so I'm, I'm big now, right? I'm not fighting class anymore, okay? Hey, he was bigger than me in the Marine Corps. I don't know how that worked. They'll kick you out. <clears throat> this fella fell out of every run we went on. And he was a sergeant, so he's a squad leader. And some of the other sergeants come to him, and I accidentally walked in on this conversation because as a junior Marine, you don't see an older Marine getting corrected. That threatens the 
the integrity of the hierarchy, right? So I walked out on this and was like immediately about face and go the other direction. And they're like, man, you got to get, you got to tighten up. You can't be like this, man. You're, one, you're setting a bad example. Two, we're going to war, buddy. Like you got, you're, you're running in PT gear right now. We're talking about a 90 pound combat loadout. And, and dude's like, you know, when that adrenaline hits, I'll be fine. You know how, adre- how, much, how much time you got on adrenaline? Like eight seconds. That's, that's, why, that's how long they want you to ride a bull. Maxed out, best you can do, eight seconds. And this dude's ready to engage in a six-hour firefight on adrenaline. He's not prepared. He, he thinks he's ready to do something that he's not. And people that don't come to church, that don't read the Word of God, that don't fellowship with those of like precious faith say, well, if they threaten me with my job, I'm a Christian. I'm going to stand up for it. You won't even get up and go to church. You think you're going to lose your job? You think you're going to go to jail? You think you're going to be ready to make a sacrifice you haven't prepared for? No. You're not. We struggle with the world. We're going to struggle with the world. Jesus didn't say you're going to live your best life now. He said you will be arrested, persecuted, killed. You'll be hated all over the world because you're my followers. Does that sound like seven steps to live your best life now? If my faith is right, I'm riding right. I got a Rolls Royce, baby. That's my money. That ain't it. You know, all these testimonies about how people were broke and lost and then they started following the Lord and then everything opened up and they were a millionaire. Imagine the Apostle Paul standing up and giving his testimony. He'd be like, well, I was a Pharisee. I was elite. I studied at the best schools. I studied under the number one Pharisee in the land. I had a lot of money. I was on track to move into great political power. And then I met God on the road to Damascus. I lost everything. My family doesn't talk to me. I go to places and they beat me up, throw me in prison. I'm losing my eyesight. I'm shipwrecked. I hate water. I'm in the water all the time. God is good. Many will try to deceive you. That's Satan's primary objective. What do you do to Eve? First sin, result of deception. He's going to try to deceive you as an individual and deceive the church as a whole. The world will continue to go crazy. We, we, see, we think we see crazy now. It's going to keep going crazy. Wars, threats of wars, persecution of the believer, betrayal by family and loved ones, false prophets. Jesus warned of all this stuff. He didn't hide the ball. He said, you want to be my disciple? Pick up your cross and follow me. Deny your flesh. Pick up your cross. Follow me daily. That's, that's what he said. Those are the words of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. The one that gave it all so that we would have an opportunity to deny our flesh, to pick up a cross and follow him, to walk in relationship with him, to be a faithful disciple for him, to pour our life out, as Paul said in Philippians, to pour our life out like a drink offering. When I think of that, that's a pretty insignificant offering, right? Like not even like a bull or a goat or anything, like a drink offering. Anybody ever poured like a cold drink on a hot rock and it's gone? And you hardly even tell it was there. And Paul's like, That's a, pour me out like a drink offering, God. I'm all in, man. I'm yours. Don't, don't think that, that we're supposed to just get along with the world. We are not of this world. Jesus struggled with the world. You're going to struggle with the world. Don't let the struggle shake your faith. Don't let it shake the faith and the hope that you have because your hope is rooted on solid ground. Your hope is rooted in his promise, in his promises, in his word, in the word of the one that 
will never change. And the word of the one that stepped out on nothing and created everything. That's where our hope lies. That's why we look to the hills. That's where our hope comes from, from the one that created it all. Not from what I see in front of me, not from my job security, not from my financial security, not from the relationships that I have with people, not from my ability to make money or my ability to do good things. My hope can't be in any of that because it's all going to be folded up and burned up. My hope can only be in the everlasting, something that will not perish, the spilt blood of Jesus Christ that is not perishable. That's my hope. And in his promises, his words, that's where my hope is. It's in his promises. So number three, if you're taking notes, we've been through the hope, we've been through the struggle, we're going to hit some of these promises. And I want us to see these promises more clearly than we see our struggle. That's where the strength comes from. When we can see the promise more clearly than we see the struggle, we have strength in our hope. We have strength to carry on. Now, uh, the first one we're going to hit is in Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 4. That's Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 4. This is the promise that he chose us. Starting in verse 3, blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He chose you. That's a promise. He chose you. The scripture is the inspired word of God. The Holy Spirit carried these men along and they wrote out the inspired word of God. Brooke, if you would come, please. This is a promise to you that he chose you. Get strength from that. Second one is the promise that we are his children. John chapter 1, 11 through 13. That's John chapter 1, 11 through 13. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You receive him. You receive salvation. You are instantly justified. You are as saved as you will ever be. There's pastors that have been preaching 50 years all over the world. And the repentant sinner that comes down and put, lays it all on the, at the foot of the cross, repents and believes in Christ is just as saved as that one that's been doing ministry for 50 years. There are not different levels of saved. He, he chose you. We are his children. He adopted us as his children. Yeah. His word is his promise. We are his children. The third promise. I want to share with you is the promise that we will struggle. If you didn't get that from the struggle part, I want to hit it here too. It's a promise. You're going to struggle. In Matthew 5, 11 through 12, Jesus said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So they persecuted the pro- for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. All the believers, all the truth tellers, they have been persecuted and murdered throughout temporary history. You're gonna struggle. But Jesus said, You're blessed when that happens, when people hate you and revile you. For great is your reward in heaven. And Pastor John told us last week, when he's coming back for us, he's not just coming back for us, he's bringing his reward for us. Don't lose hope. Don't lose strength because of the struggle. Know that he is faithful to his promises, friend. If the band would come, please. They're going to play a song for us. 
We will struggle and be persecuted, but he rewards our faithfulness, and we are his. The fourth promise I want to share with you this morning, the promise that he will rule everything, and we are his. In Philippians chapter 3, 20 and 21, that's Philippians 3, 20 and 21. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior. He's in heaven right now. The Lord Jesus Christ. And He will come and He will transform our lowly body, this weak mortal body, to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject things, all things, to Himself. The same exact power that Christ is going to come back and put the entire world as his footstool. He is going to take this weak mortal body and glorify it. And I will be without blemish, sinless, in his presence. And so shall it ever be, friend. That is our blessed hope. The promise that he is coming back. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17. It's 1 Thessalonians 4. 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. His word says he is coming back. Our hope is in his promises. Don't lose strength because of the struggle. This is not our home, friend. Our citizenship is in heaven. We have a victory in Jesus. Walk it out. As they play this song, I invite you to worship. Our victory is in Jesus. I heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory we gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning, all his precious blood's atoning. And I repented of my sins and won the victory. No victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. Sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is to him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. And I heard, I heard about his healing, of his cleansing power revealing. broken spirit and somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory victory in Jesus my Savior forever he sought me and bought me with his redeeming love he loved me ere I knew him and all my love is to him Yeah. 
glory. And I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea, about the angels singing and the old redemption story. And some sweet day I'll sing up there the song of victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with His redeeming love. He loved the air, I knew Him, and all my love is due Him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing blood. Thank you. Thank you all very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Our victory is in Jesus, friend. Our hope is in his promises. Don't let the struggle compromise your strength and your hope. The struggle is real. It is there. But what trumps the struggle is our hope in his promises. I'm about to close this in prayer. But this morning, if you would say, I don't, I don't understand this hope. I don't understand what a blessed hope would be. I have no relationship with this person you're talking about, Jesus. I'm going to stay right here at the front of the stage for a few minutes after I dismiss. And my intention is not to embarrass you. And there is nothing special about me, friend. But if you would like to come talk to somebody and have me pray with you, there is no sinner's prayer formula. But if something quickened in you and the Holy Spirit is talking to you and the Father is beckoning you, then Jesus is your access. I'd like to introduce you to him. So if that's you this morning, just come down here. I'll be here for a few moments or a few minutes. Uh, Otherwise, are you all encouraged this morning? Bless you. I'm going to close this in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, that your, your promises are true, that our hope is founded in your promises, Lord. We thank you that your son has paid our price, that stood, he stood in the place and now stands in the gap as our access and our advocate. We are so thankful, Lord, that, that you have redeemed us, that our victory is in you, God. We love you, Lord. We give our lives to you. We give today to you, Lord. We just pray that we are, can be used in an honorable way to advance and serve and glorify your kingdom in your name, Lord. We love you and all honor and glory to you. Amen. Y'all have a blessed Lord's Day. God bless you.